2: work with the sound turned all the way up so your co-workers are offended and, and you get fired uh, whatever you want to do all episodes are free and available anytime
3: this is the blaze radio network
0: truth lives here
1: this is the Blaze Radio News, sponsored by ReliefFactor.com. If you suffer from chronic pain, try all-natural Relief Factor. Go to ReliefFactor.com for natural pain relief without any nasty side effects. I'm Robert Walensky. They'll all pass. I think every nomination will be. They are at the absolute highest level. I think they're going to do yes. very well. A confident Donald Trump telling reporters in the hallway at Trump Tower in New York City he believes all of his nominees will be confirmed. They're going great. Confirmation's going great. I think they'll all pass. And it will be a huge day on Capitol Hill as the confirmation process gets underway. First up, Alabama Senator Republican Jeff Sessions, Trump's pick for attorney general.
2: It's really the role he's been
0: playing during the transition and he's just a great guy, super smart successful, successful, uh, but someone that uh, is a really a great team player.
1: Donald Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, married to Ivanka Trump, will take on the role of senior White House advisor to the president, White House Chief of Staff Reince Priebus, weighing in.
0: He's just a great guy. Super smart and successful.
1: A terrible tragedy to tell you about in Orlando, where a female police officer killed by a man at a Walmart. He's accused of killing his girlfriend. Someone in the store recognized him and ran out and got the female officer. Then an Orange County Sheriff's Deputy searching for the cop killer gets into an accident and dies. Additional details now from Tom Roberts.
3: Authorities are identifying a Sheriff's Deputy who was killed during a manhunt for a man accused of murdering an Orlando police officer. Orange County Sheriff's Deputy Norman Lewis. Died when his motorcycle was hit by a vehicle as he was helping to search for Markeith Lloyd. Meanwhile, Orlando Police Chief John Mina says an apartment complex was at the center in the hunt for the suspected killer of Master Sergeant Deborah Clayton.
2: Master Sergeant Clayton was approached by someone who advised her that there was a murder suspect close by the Walmart. She attempted to make contact and was shot and killed by Markeith Lloyd.
1: This is news on the Blaze Radio Network. Truth lives here. This is
3: Jonathan Dunn, host of the Freedom's Disciple podcast, where I weekly testify to America's greatness. Join me as I speak out for God, the Constitution, your founding principles,
1: and your history. Go to theblaze.com slash radio, where you'll find links to my show, available on iTunes or SoundCloud. You can listen anytime with a friend, at home making dinner, or even traveling to work. All episodes. spreading freedom
0: across the nation this is three, two,
3: one. the buck sexton show
0: all right team buck welcome to our three here in the freedom hut great to have you with me as always we're joined now by lauren southern she is a right-wing activist writer and host for the rebel media she is also the author of a new book barbarians How Baby Boomers, Immigrants, and Islam Screwed My Generation. She is a Canadian. She is with us now. Lauren, great to have you.
2: Hi, Buck. Thanks for having me.
0: Tell me about the book.
2: Tell you about the book. Well, uh, for those of you who don't know, who are watching, I am a millennial. I'm 21, and I wrote this book for my generation. And also kind of as a screw you to the neocons who screwed our conservative movement. Uh, It's all about kind of the dispossession and total and utter disconnect young people have from Western culture and the type of conservatism that built up Western nations and how we've kind of been sold this false, more uh, kind of pandered to the left version of conservatism. And it just goes through list by list, who screwed my generation. And it is certainly not a victim book. I include millennials. We definitely threw napalm on that fire. Uh, But it's basically there is a guide for young people on what happened and how we can fix it.
0: And in Canada, do you think it's worse than it is here in America? About the same? I mean, the the progressive uh, lefty takeover of universities and the media that's been occurring for a long time. But I think here, at least under the Obama administration, it reached a well, it certainly reached new heights, but it also seemed to be accelerating. Right, Things were moving even faster to the left than they had in previous years. What's the situation up north like?
2: Well, we don't really have a conservative party in Canada. Our conservatives would probably be considered Democrats in America. And also there's a lot less urgency in Canada when it comes to combating uh, leftism and radical leftism because we aren't bordered on kind of a third world nation. We don't have hordes of immigrants coming over the Mexican border. We don't have the refugee crisis at the same extent that Europe does. So we don't really see... The problem is as extreme as they do in Europe and in America. So the lefty takeover is certainly more successful in Canada because of that.
0: And tell me a bit about how baby boomers who are they're one of the uh, they're one of the groups in the title of your book that uh, gets gets it rough. So uh, what's going on with baby boomers? Why, why do they deserve to be singled out and called out in this way?
2: Well, it certainly wasn't all baby boomers. But of course, sort of, of course. But as a group, free, you're mentioning them. Yes, as a group, I, I am a bit hyperbolic. But yes, the, the kind of free love movement, the idea of they, they got very mad with their more traditional parents that were strict, and they never really experienced the, the war and the fighting for their freedom. So they kind of rejected it all. And you got also a lot of the crazy philosophers uh, from the May 68ers, the French, like Foucault, and all of these deconstructionists that came around. And what happened was they all fought for leftist free speech. You had a lot of the campus protesters fighting for leftist free speech, for leftist movements, and then they all got in power, and suddenly they turned it right around and started suppressing the right. So it was all these leftist baby boomers and tenored hippies from the 70s that became professors today and totally turned the narrative around and are no longer supporting free speech, are no longer supporting free ideas or libertarian ideas at all they they won their movement they defeated their quote-unquote oppressors of traditional stuffy conservatives and then they turned it right around and it became the fascists
0: immigrants also named in the title of your book now ca- ca- the canadian system i always point out i don't know it well but i've read a bit about it uh, it runs on a point system right I mean, you do take in a lot of asylum seekers but right. if you're going to immigrate To Canada they actually look at things like your educational background and they seem to have in some ways or at least in in some parts of it a more sane immigration policy than we do here in the United States so immigrants factor into your analysis in your book how
2: absolutely and this is an important one and I'm not necessarily just talking about Canada I mean we're a bit better than America and a lot of European countries we're not quite an Australian point system but it's definitely a bit better But I'm talking about the West in general. And when it comes to millennials, we are forced to pay into social systems that have become so generous with strangers. They are now unsustainable for ourselves, and they are going to be unsustainable. And in Canada, even where we have it better, if you look at Fraser Institute studies, it still shows immigrants are a net negative to the country. And we should not be bringing in the amount of immigrants we are right now if they – are not a financial benefit to Canada. And you got to remember, Canada, America, both still in a ton of debt. We're not <laughs> walking on sunshine here. We have our own issues to deal with. And to pretend that it's okay to, for example, in Canada, we, we brought in Syrian refugees and we were housing them in hotels for a while. And in one of these hotels, you had a mother with three kids that could hardly afford to live there, a Canadian mother with three kids, that was kicked out to make room for Syrian refugees. No, we should not be putting other countries and immigrants, certainly not economic immigrants, before current Canadians and millennials who are going to have to pay the debt of supporting them.
0: What do you think about Donald Trump's rhetoric and at least his stated plans on on immigration? As a liberty, you're a libertarian, right? You're a part of the Libertarian Party of Canada. So I just want to say, go ahead.
2: I'm, I'm definitely a lot more right-wing than most libertarians, and I'm definitely a lot more libertarian than most conservatives. I'm somewhere in the middle there. But I am a fan of Donald Trump simply because, well, you cannot have a welfare state and open borders at the same time. It's ludicrous. You can't uh, just allow people to walk over the borders and then suck money out of your nation and vote themselves more money. It doesn't work. It's Quite frankly, it, it's not consistent. It doesn't make any sense at all. So Donald Trump made a lot uh, it just sounded like common sense to me and it was shocking to me how offended mainstream conservatives were by what seemed like something that should should have been so normal to conservatives just 50 years ago
0: and then of course islam a topic near and dear to my heart as somebody who's worked for the cia and specialized in the middle east (laughs) islam factors into your book in what ways lauren
2: now this isn't as big a problem in canada but in europe certainly it is changing the fabric of the nation and i was just in molenbeek over the summer walking through there and i'd say about three quarters of the women were covered up faces covered and this wasn't just women from the middle east this was european women as well You spoke to the people there, I interviewed them, and they told me, all in Malambique, we want Sharia law. The majority of people here want Sharia law. Islam is different, and Islamic immigrants are different than other immigrants because their ideology is political as well, and they want to shift the politics of the countries they move into. And I see that happening here in Toronto, where I live in Canada as well, where you have uh, Islamic leaders looking for more and more control in the government, trying to get uh, more Islamic law implemented and if you allow enough immigration to happen certainly in europe and some of these small towns eventually you will see the laws and the culture start to change and it's with the birth rates if you look at the birth rates of muslim immigrants compared to native europeans and you look at the immigration rates it's not so ridiculous to say in the next hundred years that you could certainly have a muslim government i don't think that is insane to say
0: and you would agree with Trump's uh, limitations or not, uh, limitations on Muslim-majority countries and immigration to any Western country? As you say, you're, I, I understand now the thesis of your book is just about the West in general, right? So not, not Canada, the U.S., or Europe specifically, all of them together. Should they all be more concerned about immigration from countries, not just that have higher rates of terrorism and, and obviously that are the wellsprings of jihad, but also perhaps have difficulty assimilating into western culture is do you, do you think that's a real concern should the trump administration move on that and, and others as well
2: the west is such a unique and beautiful experiment that it has been at, no one no one wants to move out of the west everyone wants to move into the west no one it's something that needs to be preserved the freedoms we've created the egalitarianism created the culture that's been created one of flourishing ideas of flourishing culture and and freedom most importantly needs to be preserved and freedom is not free and the only way we can do that is to make sure that immigrants assimilate happy to have them but you gotta assimilate to the culture and if you accept too many from countries that refuse to assimilate create enclaves or even worse are directly opposed to assimilation and want to change the fabric of the nation because there's three kind of immigrants you've got the ones that love and want to move into the country and become a part of the culture, the second ones that are kind of impartial and third that want to change it, and the third tend to come from a certain religious sect, and they tend to come from certain countries, and yes, we should absolutely be watching out the countries in that religious sect, and to name it, it is Islam.
0: And uh, if I can ask you, Lauren, uh, the, the rebel, tell me about the rebel media.
2: Right, so the rebel media is kind of the last bastion of Right-wing commentary in Canada. We don't really have much right-wing media. We've got a giant super predator CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Company, which is funded by our tax dollars. That is uh, almost exclusively left-wing opinions, and the rest of the media is quite leaning left. And um, so we are, <laughs> we are the we were called the Fox News Canada when we were a news station, Sun News. That unfortunately collapsed because. Well, a lot of people here don't like us, and then we started up online, and it's been a booming success. In fact, I think we are the only uh, company that is not government funded that is moving up in media in Canada. So people are thirsty for different views, and they are thirsty for questioning the mainstream narrative in Canada. Certainly, as well, I think I think we are going to eventually have our own kind of populist movement. Adjust my leg a bit behind Europe and America. <laughs>
0: Is my old buddy Faith Goldie still working with you guys?
2: Faith is still here, yeah. She just came on full-time recently. She's uh, she's great. She uh, was telling me she was stoked for me to be on your show.
0: <laughs> great. Yeah, yeah. She, she we had her on uh, Real News back in the day, when we were running a lot of TV shows here out of New York. So, all right, The rebel, very cool. One more for you before we let you go. And, again, I'm speaking to Lauren Southern, who is at Lauren underscore Southern uh, on Twitter. Uh, the truth about Ariana Grande and objectification. This is a piece on the Rebel. Media. What is the truth about Ariana Grande and objectification, Lauren?
2: All right. Well, something real special happened last week. Ariana Grande was told by a fan or her, she was sitting with her boyfriend and a fan walked up to them and congratulated her boyfriend for hitting that for having sex with her and ariana went on a just crazy rant on twitter talking about how this was awful this was objectification how can men act like that she felt so disrespected and normally i'd be cheering ariana on like you go girl don't let that man disrespect you no problem but the thing you got to know about ariana grande a huge star four million followers all this her top song is called side to side and it is about her getting effed so hard she can't walk after whoa 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 yes settle down yes, that is sorry that we could just
0: say it is about graphic content
2: <laughs> and graphic content running around complaining complaining about guys sexualizing her when this is how she makes the majority of her money and she is Kind of creating this double standard for young girls, where she's telling them you can be, you can sexualize yourself as much as you want, you can talk about being sexualized as much as you want, and men can never say anything to you or treat you differently because of that. When in the real world, that is just not true. Men uh, have a this is a psychological thing when women walk in bikinis and whatnot, their mind switches into seeing that as a tool. It's a psychological thing that cannot be changed, and young girls are being sold false double uh they've, they've been told a false narrative by people like ariana and i think she's very hypocritical for how she acted in this situation so that's what that video was about
0: lauren's <laughs> of the book
2: content there buck
0: no no it's, it's yeah uh sure <laughs> lauren's book is barbarians how baby boomers immigrants and islam uh screwed my generation it's on amazon.com lauren southern thank you for stopping by we appreciate it
2: sure thanks for having me
0: Team, uh, 888-900-3393 on the phone lines. We will be right back.
3: Rex Sexton,
0: the Blaze Radio Network. so we've all heard a lot way too much actually about the Meryl Streep speech I'm not going to talk about that again now I realized yesterday that I was in a sense part of the problem because I talked about it a bit I don't think that we should be in a place where that woman is able to uh, say stuff that we would ex- and that's what we'd expect anyone in Hollywood in her position to say and it dominates the news cycle and I'm gonna stop I'm not gonna talk about it anymore uh, but there was another speech given by uh, another Canadian, like our friend Lauren Southern, who just joined, Ryan Gosling. Some of the ladies, I'm sure, are Ryan Gosling fans. Some of the guys, too. Uh, I'm, you know, agnostic. Uh, but he won the Golden Globe for Best Actor in La La Land. And when he was up there, he gave a thank you. I think it, was, it seemed like a heartfelt, nice thank you to his wife, uh, Eva, Eva Mendez. Um, so he said, uh, cause she stayed home while he was making this movie. And he said that she was holding the fort, looking after things so we could have one of the best experiences I've ever had on a film. And he said, if she hadn't taken on all that, so I could have this experience, uh, someone else would be up here other than me today. Sweetheart. Thank you. Said the actor. So this guy's up there. A- Ava Mendes, by the way, has had quite a career of her own and is famous. So, this isn't even a for what we're about to get into it's it's kind of amazing that this became a thing that the left pounced on uh this is in the u k news uh, you know the u k paper by Narjas zatat. never heard of her before whatever uh, they get annoyed at him because he said she wasn't just making his dinner. Uh, No, she was, quote, raising our daughter, pregnant with our second and trying to help her brother fight his battle with cancer. Uh, This is what this author writes. Despite the swooning on social media for his notebook esque outpour outpouring, I can't help but feel that Ava Mendez, an award winning actor in her own right, took one for the team and provided the emotional labor needed for Gosling to further his own career. Gosling's appreciation for his partner may be genuine, but it plays into structural inequality women face in the workplace, least of all Hollywood. Wait, least of all Hollywood? I think she would mean most of all Hollywood, right? What? Okay, anyway. Yes, Mendez has agency in the decision to put her career on the back burner for the sake of her husband's, but why did she have to make that decision to begin with? And then it just goes into Hollywood is sexist, Hollywood is sexist, Hollywood is sexist. Now, if you want to make the case as a writer who apparently has nothing better to do and wants to spend her time on such a thing, if you want to make the case that Hollywood is sexist, by all means, go for it. But I don't think that we have to sacrifice on that progressive altar a man's ability to say nice things about his wife. This is when, once again... The desire to be uh, edgy and progressive, and to be one of the—I don't know—one of the the cool and thoughtful people in media—they just devolve into incoherence. They're just trying too hard. A guy saying that he—a guy thanking his wife for taking care of—I think she her, her brother with cancer, a baby at home, and another baby, and a woman who has quite a career of her own. That's not really an opportunity that shouldn't be seen as an opening for a lecture to the world on the inequalities of Hollywood. And the more that we see people who have one platform or another who just want to take a sledgehammer and whack at the load bearing walls of Western civilization just to sort of see what happens, just to get a rise out of people, just to test out the structural integrity of the building that is Western civilization. Let's just, let's just kick at those load-bearing walls, take some sledgehammers, maybe a jackhammer. Uh, people are going to start to, I hope, see this for what it is. It is uh, mindless acts as a provocateur. It's just trying to one-up other people who are also taking this position that traditional gen- the traditional gender roles – and the traditional family are some form of uh, slavery or inequality. And this is the sort of nonsense that you would expect only here on a campus, although after decades on campus, it's now infected the rest of society in the world. A guy should be able to say nice things about his wife. And we should all say that's nice. And we should also probably say thanks, Ryan Gosling, for not giving us a lecture on politics, for just talking about your craft and somebody who helped you and keeping it keeping it real i guess you could say although I don't, I don't think he spoke of politics i don't know he might have i didn't see the whole speech uh, but i'm assuming he didn't that assumption could be wrong uh, phone lines are open also keep in mind facebook live at three o'clock uh, we've got a post up on facebook now if you want to write in some questions i'll hit those and then we'll take questions live it's going to be so much fun everybody we're going to get to hang out in the freedom hut all 150 square feet of it it's a little bigger than that but not much back in a few
3: The Buck Sexton Show, on the Blaze Radio Network.
0: Dispensing the truth.
2: This is Buck Sexton. On
0: the Blaze Radio Network. Team, we're joined now by Larry Schweikert. He's the best-selling author and retired history professor at the University of Dayton. He has a brand new book out: "The Politically Incorrect Guide to the Presidents, Part One: From Washington to Taft." Larry, great to have you.
3: Hey, Buck. Good to be there.
0: All right. The Politically Incorrect Guide to the Presidents. Give me some of the. Give me some of the broad strokes. Then we'll dig down into some specifics here of uh, various presidential figures but what was the the, uh, the the idea behind this book is to tell us what stuff we weren't supposed to know about various potici.
3: well that uh, also I gave every president as did my predecessor who wrote volume 2 by the way volume 2 has been out for about a year <laughs> and they wrote volume 2 first I think because Obama was leaving office and they wanted to get get him uh, a grade before he left office But anyway, one of the things that's involved in the book is giving every president a constitutional grade. How did they perform their duties based on uh, the mandates of the Constitution, the limitations of the Constitution? And so I think you'll find surprises there with with people that kind of generally go unnoticed but did a fantastic job, such as James Monroe, versus some of the more flamboyant people that tend to get a lot of the press, uh, such as Andy Jackson.
0: Now, what was – a? I know that this is in part two, but I just have to ask, especially in the waning days of his presidency, the very last days, what was the constitutional grade given to Obama?
3: I'm pretty sure it was an F. Okay. I don't have the book I, handy. I thought maybe he would have slid through here. with
0: a D, but I guess an F is not too surprising.
3: I'm sure he didn't get a gentleman C. I've got the book around here someplace. It's been a while since I've read it. But, uh, yeah, I'm, it was not good.
0: <laughs> Let's talk about some of in, – in this volume, volume one uh, – Let's talk a bit about some of the, the revelations about various presidents that you, you get into in some detail here. Uh, for example, George Washington used his faith as a pillar of his presidency. Do tell.
3: Yeah, Washington is often wrongly portrayed as a deist. He was not a deist. He was a, a Christian. He was a vestry man at his church, which is kind of like a Bible study leader. He prayed in the name of Jesus. Which, which you know, any one of those things pretty much puts him down as a, a dyed-in-the-wool mainstream Christian uh, conservative. And um, he, he very much in all of his major speeches included uh, God and, and, and God's role in human activities and so forth. So he's quite aware of, of uh, the necessity of America uh, being on good terms with the Lord
0: and thomas jefferson may have been for small government but he might not have said an iconic quote attributed to him which one is that,
3: that that's uh, the government that governs best governs least and presumably the very best government is no government at all no that's uh, jefferson is an interesting and and um uh kind of two-sided character uh, he very much believes in states rights he writes the virginia kentucky resolution Uh, you know, against the Alien and Sedition Act. Um, But in his presidency, he does a number of very uh, unsmall government-like things. First of all, you know, he acquires Louisiana, which I'm sure we all applaud. I mean, I I like going to the Superdome for a game now and then. But uh, he does so without ever consulting Congress or the Senate, which should have been the body to take this up. And and let me just, before I continue, Jefferson, let me segue to one important thing, which is almost all these early presidents were believers in the Whig system of government, WHIG, which meant that they all believed that that action should originate with the legislature, the House, and the Senate, and the president should be more or less kind of caretakers and, and add the final stamp of approval. And of course, right off the bat, Washington finds that he can't do that because of the pending threat of war with France and Britain, so he right away changes that. But, but anyway, Jefferson would have said he believed in the Whig structure of government, and yet one of the first things he does is to acquire Louisiana, pretty much by himself. You know, Livingston says, hey, Napoleon will give it to us for you know 15 million, you know, maybe throwing a basketball player to be named later or something, and and Jefferson says, buy it, take it.
0: Larry Schweikert, he's the best-selling author of numerous books, including his latest, The Politically Incorrect Guide to the President's Part One, From Washington to Taft. Tell me a bit about Andrew Jackson's uh, animosity towards Native Americans, more than just racism, your book says.
3: Yeah, Andrew Jackson, there's no doubt he was a racist, and there's certainly no doubt many, if not most, of the people around the world at that time had similar views of different people. Uh, Jackson's particular situation with the Cherokee came from his, his youth, and the Cherokee support for the American Revolution, uh, for the British and the American Revolution, uh, they chose sides and they chose against the Patriots, and Jackson never forgot it. Uh, he thought they were traitors for doing so, and so when he got a chance to get even, boy, he did. He got even.
0: And Theodore Roosevelt, a progressive but also a diehard patriot.
3: Well, what do you think about Teddy, Buck? I mean, you pretty hard on Teddy?
0: Well, I know that it became kind of fashionable in recent years for conservatives to talk about how he's the original progressive and right. therefore is in some ways the, the author of all big government ills that have come since then. But, I don't know, Rough Riders, he did some cool stuff, an interesting man, a renaissance man. I kind of like the guy. Yeah, he's
3: he's exactly that. He he has some bad views, especially on economics. And and I think where that comes from is precisely what you said. He's a renaissance man. He does almost everything. You know, he writes newspaper articles. He writes books. he, He creates a cavalry regiment when he could have sat in a safe desk back home. He's the only president to win the Medal of Honor and the Nobel Peace Prize. And yet his one big shortcoming is he never really runs a business. He never owns a business, and he never has an appreciation for, for turning a profit, paying employees, that kind of thing. And I think that very much shapes his, his attitudes toward business, especially big business, when he becomes president. But, you know, I think you or I would be very happy to be in a foxhole with Teddy Roosevelt, and I think you or I would never question His love of America, it wouldn't even cross our minds. This guy loves America. A
0: couple other things you get into in the book. I just wanted to give people a taste of what they can expect if they buy the Politically Incorrect Guide to the Presidents. Uh, George Washington wanted America to be isolationist?
3: Well, that's kind of a, a mantra that's been used more recently by a lot of libertarians. He writes a line in there, actually Hamilton writes it for him in two different places. Where, where he says we must avoid these entangling alliances. And I think Jefferson picks up the exact term, entangling alliances. But the fact is he qualifies it with a 20-year period. you got to remember when he's writing this 1796, uh, 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 he's about to step down. Uh, John Adams is about to take over. And Washington is warning the country, you know, we're a chihuahua in a yard full of German shepherds. We can't afford to go out and pick a fight and, and be allied with one group or another that will inevitably cause us to lose. We've got to be careful. And so he says for a period of 20 years, and he uses that phrase for a period of 20 years a couple of times. And I think it's telling because what do you have 20 years later is the War of 1812. And what do you have in the War of 1812? American regulars are able to go toe-to-toe, as they say in the movie The Patriot. Remember this line? Gates is a damn fool. He's going toe to toe with redcoats in open field. It's madness, you know. Well, the fact is, that's exactly what the American army did in the War of 1812 and won several victories doing that. Now, New Orleans is different, but uh, Chippewa, Lundy's Lane, I mean, America's duke it at, Americans duke it out with the best army in the world in open field in regular European military tactics. And Washington foresaw that we were not going to be able to do that. For a long time, we need to build up our economy, build up our military forces, and then we'd be able to tell the rest of the world to buzz off if, if we didn't like what they were doing with us.
0: Worst president in U.S. history. All in. Who is it?
3: All, all in has to be Obama. I mean, without a question. Wow. Obama right
0: right away. Trump, not even not Trump even stopping. W- worse than Woodrow Wilson. Worse than.
3: W- worse than Wilson. Worse than Carter. Worse than Millard Fillmore. Millard Fillmore really wasn't that bad. But he, he gets all the jokes from Johnny Carson. Wow. Wow. I
0: I, I thought at least there'd be kind of a, a moment's hesitation. Do you think Obama's the worst president we have ever... He's worse than Andrew without Jackson.
3: question. And I go back to what I started with about these guys loving America. There's no question in my mind. Every one of the ones up to Taft loved America, and and I have serious reservations many times about whether or not Obama loves this country. I don't think he even likes this country quite quite often.
0: Top three presidents all time for you, Larry? Oh, are easy.
3: Who? This is too. This is too easy. This is Washington, Lincoln, Reagan. I think you've got to go five to really have some kind of
0: really. All right, we'll give, uh-huh. you, we'll give you five. We're in a generous mood today right. in the Freedom Hunt. Go ahead.
3: <laughs> okay, all right. Coolidge, Calvin Coolidge would be number four. Amherst College Cleveland.
0: alumni, Calvin Coolidge, I'll have everybody know. Yeah. Go ahead, sir. Our there only president. Go. We okay. get very excited about that.
3: Well, he was a great one, you know, born on the 4th of July. How do you beat that? And, and then Grover Cleveland uh, is number five. I call him the last good Democrat. Uh, you're gonna have okay wait
0: can i ask you explain the rest of them this audience would would be able to i think recite chapter and verse uh why that they could stand stand next to you and make that case grover cleveland tell us why he's great
3: cleveland is a great president he's first of all he's the only president to ever win an election lose an election and then come back and win another election and uh he is faced with He's one of the first presidents, maybe the only president, actually, actually tried to shrink government. His main issue are these veterans benefits stemming from the Civil War. And by the time he gets into office, which is 1884, the first time around, these things have grown to be the social security of the day. And he has to fix it. And he even goes through these veterans claims one by one. Finding out Now, this guy, he was wounded after the war. This guy never served. And he, he's kicking these out by the hundreds and, and eventually by the thousands in trying to pare down their claims against the U.S. government. So that's number one. Number two is that he has presented a seed corn bill. This is small but very, very symbolic. He's presented a seed corn bill for a minuscule amount of money uh, in, in the grand scheme of things to send seed corn to drought-stricken Texas farmers. And Congress has passed it, and he, sa- he sends it back. He vetoes it, and he says, I cannot find in the Constitution. Whoa. What president would use this language anymore? I cannot find in the Constitution where we are authorized to do this. I have sympathy for these people. I suggest, I love this, I suggest Congress take up a collection among yourselves that would equal the amount and send
0: it to the farmer. Ah, I didn't know. You know, Grover. I gotta. I gotta. What's the? Do you have a biography? People are gonna ask me this, and I don't. I hate when I don't have answers for for my team. Sure. So, uh, best biography of Grover Cleveland.
3: Well, the Alan Nevins uh, biography of Cleveland is the best. Uh, there are a number of newer ones, uh, including one. And you'll forgive me; I've got to look on my library real quick.
0: Sure. No, I I do the same. I always I mean, book titles from are always easier than book authors, which I feel bad. It should probably be the other way around. But yeah, I, I usually well, forget the author's just name. Let me
3: pop the book open here and and just just look at the Cleveland entry on mm-hmm. some of these. Uh, Brodsky, I think, is the name. Alan Brodsky has a a great biography of Cleveland. Okay, where are we? Grover. All right. Well, there you can we let go. me know and I
0: could post it up I could post it up on, on Facebook. But uh, we're gonna run into a hard break here, Larry, so I, I gotta bounce, but I wanna make sure Brodsky, everybody knows your a book.
3: Study in character. There you go. Brodsky, oh. a study in character.
0: Fantastic. Larry Schweikert is a best selling author. His latest is the politically incorrect guide to the presidents, part one, from Washington to Taft. Also P S Obama the worst ever. Larry Schweikert, great to have you, sir. Thank you for calling in.
3: Thank you. Bye.
0: Bye. Shaman, he sounded like he was sad at the end. Why was he sad? I don't know. I, I didn't think he should be sad. I feel like we had a great... Anyway, book will be great. Get Larry's book. Uh, we'll be back in a minute. This is the Buck Sexton Show.
3: On the Blaze Radio Network. Show on the
0: Blaze Radio Network. All right, team, we've got uh, Keith up in Alaska. Keith, you're in the Freedom Shield High. What's up? Hey, Buck. Hey, um, I just wanted to say, so the uh, uh, Bloodsport Frank Dukes, um, that's based off a true story. And if you go on YouTube, you can actually find quite a bit of footage of him fighting at the Kumite um, in China. Wait, if you do, if you you mean the real Frank Dukes? The real Frank Dukes, yeah, the real Frank Dukes. There's actually there's quite a bit of footage of him fighting at the Kumite in China. Um, yeah, well, I think they held it in different places, but um, I know some of them were held in China. I've I've seen all this back and forth, as I understand it, in the martial arts world as to whether Frank Dukes is uh, overstating his exploits or not. And I I don't know which side I come down on because I only know the Van Damme side of the things, which is the movie, which is obviously yeah. fake. Well, so. I, I, I'm sure some of the stuff was embellished or whatever, but you can, um, you can go um, check out um, his fights. Um, I mean, you know, there's some, you know, there's like a whole bunch of compilations of him fighting at the Kumite and just knocking people out. I mean, just head kicking them. I mean, just brutally beating these dudes bad. All right. I'll uh, uh, send me a link to that. That. At me. I want to, I want to yeah. see what you're talking about. Um, all right. Appreciate it. Uh, right, keep cool. up in Al- Keith, up in Alaska. Shields high. Great to talk to you. How much time do we have? I, I am confused here, Shimon. Are we at the, like the, the very end or do I have like a minute here? I got three. Okay. We are at the very end. I'm going to miss all you guys, but I'm going to be on Facebook live in just a few minutes, three Eastern, which is uh, going to be coming up right here in literally a couple of minutes.